0: the Dockhouse Rugby Show, Dave and myself are joined by a former Super League referee who was one of the first full-time referees in the Super League era. a career that spanned over two decades, he adjudicated on over 280 Super League games. Now an ambassador for the State of Mind charity, it's Mr Ian Smith. Also joining us today is Mr Mark Illingworth, host of the Super League pod. Mark is a fan and student of the game and has a wide and vast knowledge of Rugby League. He's also a pine eater and if you're new to the sport of Rugby League that means he's a Wigan fan. But we won't all that against him. But one thing is for sure today's guests both know their onions when it comes to the sport of Rugby League. Keith and Dave talk all things Rugby League on the Dockhouse Rugby Show with news, match reviews and special guests from the world of Rugby League. Also available in audio format as the Dockhouse Rugby Pod. Gents, welcome. Uh, there's a lot to unpack, and you know we we reached out to you this week just because the Twitterverse has gone crazy, the world has gone crazy. Rugby league is is dying. It's it you know the Armageddon is coming. Everything is at the end. But there are one or two questions that I think we could probably get a sensible answer to tonight, whereas in the in the world of the Twitterverse and, and social media, it, you know, fans are fans, and they're fans because they're fanatical about their team and probably only see it one way sometimes, whereas we always try and give the bigger picture. We always try and give both sides of the story on the Dockhouse be sure. You know, we're not biased in any way, shape or form, and we look at it objectively, and if the answer is the answer, whether we like it or not, that is the answer. So let's jump straight into it, um, Dave.
1: You're going to kick us off. Thanks, Keith, and uh, welcome, Mark. Welcome, Ian. Look, as you said before, there's so many things that have uh, gone on in the last few weeks. So many talking points. Let's start with one big topic, and it refers to the hip drop. So before getting the details, <laughs> hip hop. Yeah. <laughs> So before we get into the details of the Morgan Knowles ban and five matches and why and where, what is a hip drop, Ian? Um, it's
2: had it's had many names. To be fair, it, it, once it was it was called the ninja. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Yeah, were a ninja was were. What? It's it's like that wrapping your legs around and bringing you to the floor. Uh, the the Filbin one on de Costa at the, in the Catalan game the other week was a classic example where he. he the player's in front of him and he's trying to grab the, the the collar to drag him down to the floor. But because the player is going away, they leave the floor and they wrap the feet around to try to, to use the weight to drop onto the floor. Now what that is problem is, as soon as you leave your, the feet, leave the floor, uh, you become reckless by nature because you have no contact with the ground. So it it becomes reckless. And then if you put all your weight on the ankle or the knee, of the the ball carrier, then the potential risk is there. Uh, The hip drop. uh, Again, it's where the legs come off the ground. So it's a tackle where the player is going away from you. They grab the shoulder or the collar. And because of the force and the weight and the drive of the player, you can't actually rag him to the ground with your own momentum, keeping your feet on the ground. And because you sometimes are being dragged along, you tend to lift your feet up and use your between 80 and 110 kilograms of of muscle and weight of the, of the defender to, to drop and nine times out of 10 that drop can land on, I'm probably over-exaggerating that, but many times the, you can drop onto the ankle or the knee in, in the case of Mike Cooper. And uh, by it's a tricky Mm. one because by definition uh, you 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 actually put in all the weights of, of your 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 own hips onto the ankles of the the ball carrier, and yeah. the risk to injury is massive. But I don't think it's a deliberate act. But as soon as your feet leave the ground, it becomes reckless, and I think that's where probably yeah. Morgan Knowles has has copped a, a larger ban because he swung his legs. Um, did they come off the ground? Not quite sure. Um,
1: yeah. but the, I would say the, I think. When you watch those type of tackles, they they swing the hip round, I think sometimes to try and get the legs in front. And when you've got, as you say, all that weight on the shoulders and you swing your own legs or your hip to the side. And then within a split second, all that weight is dropping possibly on one leg of that ball carrier. Mm. As you say, so easy then for an ankle or an ACL injury, as we've seen in, in this case. And, I don't think it's intentional very often by the defender because it's happening at a million miles an hour. You don't have time to really think about what you're doing very often. It's just an instinct to carry out and try and bring that ball carrier to the floor. So I'm not sure. I mean, I suppose only the players themselves could tell you whether it was intentional or not, but I don't believe it it usually is. I think it's normally just instincts and players trying to desperately make that tackle. And in this case, the you know, it's led to a very, very serious injury for a player who's in the latter stages of his career. So it's potentially a, a career ender, um, which hopefully isn't um, isn't correct. Hopefully he does make a full yeah. recovery and very speedy recovery. So we wish him all the very best with that. But it's, it's a very dangerous technique. So I believe it's a technique they're trying to um, get out the game really.
3: I think they've increased the emphasis as well on it, haven't they, um, now? I think it's become more aware how serious the injuries from this type of tackle can be. I know like Jermaine McGilvery was highlighting the six months he had out from a similar tackle last year. If I think of like the, first, the most clear and obvious example of this type of tackle that I can think of, it was um, Albert Vette on Ian Thornley at the start of last season. And he—that was a big bloke on a outside back—and um, that was one where he landed on the ankle rather than kind of came down the side by the knees, but left all his weight off the floor. And that's where you're seeing these long-term injuries because you've got a lot of weight, like Ian said, coming off the floor and onto the pressure of one person. You've got two big blokes worth of weight on one bloke's ankles and knees as he's being pulled to the floor.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, so. Add into that mix, then, so we can hopefully clarify another issue here. Why did the ping Morgan Knowles? There was three men in the tackle. How can it? How can they pinpoint it to Morgan Knowles? And the fact is like we've just stated he sw- swung with his legs in the air to put that added pressure onto Cooper's lower body, on onto his legs, and it's his knee that gave out. Which was another question: How fit was Cooper? going into that game, did he already have a knee problem? You know, was it going to go at some point anywhere? And you answered that, Mark, you quite firmly said, no, it was the fact that that tackle did it. He, he ran in, he was running fine. He was all good up to that point. Um,
3: I've watched every game he's played this year. I've not seen him, I've not seen him Whole looking, getting treatment on his knee or having extra strapping, particularly on his knee to what you would expect. Yeah. I, I, I think this is a, prime example of what david was saying about there's no intention to cause injury from the way morgan knowles morgan knowles just isn't doesn't think about the consequences sometimes of his efforts to make tackles i think is is possibly one of the things we could say is one of those really enthusiastic players his whole like attitude is built around his defense really and his toughness and he's absolutely class you know when he gets it right but I think we can see by running through his judicial record over the last three years or so, he doesn't, he gets it wrong maybe too often. And that's, that's culminated, I think in this band to to an extent, rather than this being like a, a horrifically deliberate act by him.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's not something you can train for, is it? You're not going to say to your teammates, running and I'm going to try and hip toss you and see if I can, you know, blow your <laughs> knee out. It's not something you you're practice. never making
3: that tackling training on your own teammate eh, because you know what can happen. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. But going back on your first, one of your first questions was, how did they know it were Morgan Knowles in a three-man tackle? Because he was the only one that grabbed the collar, stroke shoulder. He was the only one that swooped the swooped the feet to that side. He was the only one that that got into the position where there was any potential for hit drop. The fact that there's two other players in the tackle becomes irrelevant as far as Morgan Knowles is concerned. You know, you know, maybe they were pulling into one side, but if he hadn't had done the act that he was done, then Mike Cooper might not have had the injury that he has subsequently got. So uh, there, there was only one, even though there was three people in the tackle, there was only one person at fault for that injury.
0: Great answer, Ian. And, you know, hopefully, you know, that, puts a lot of debate to rest. The only the only other section around that would have been, uh which we can answer here now as well is, and I think we have anyway, but why was well, a grade D charge comes with a three match ban, yet he received a five match ban. Um why was that sort of like scrapped and an upgrade or escalated to, to five matches? And it's his previous conduct and also the length of the injury to Cooper, which comes into um, something we're probably going to talk about in a bit again, Ian, is the intent, but also the consequences of the actions. You know, you liken it to getting punched in the face. You know, if I punch you in the face and I break your nose, it's a lot more serious than if I just give you a punch and you know catches you on the chin and it doesn't
2: do anything. Well, even in, in our justice, our court of the land, You know, actual bodily harm and grievous bodily harm is about the intent and the the injury and the outcome of that, that intended punch, if you like. Um, So I'm struggling where people are saying, well, uh, the injury should not be a mitigating factor. Absolutely, injury should be a mitigating factor because what injury does, it proves force. uh, It proves more intent. Now, I'm not saying he intended to put Mike Cooper out for 12 months, absolutely not. But because of the recklessness of the tackle by leaving your feet off the ground, then any outcome of, of the length of injury has to be a mitigating factor regarding the grading. And to be fair to the judiciary panel as well, they are allowed to go outside the grading. That is part of, the, there is a, a part on the, the old disciplinary process where it says the uh, review panel, match review panel and the operational panel can go. Outside the guidance, you know, they're all the guidance, and that's <laughs> the word. The guidelines, you know, they yeah. can they can almost give whatever they wanted. They feel fit, and that's up to St. Helens to appeal or not. Yeah,
3: okay. and St. Helens have been successful with an appeal on a Morgan Knowles tackle that we all saw, and everyone who saw it thought that actually, arguably, was more of a deliberate act—the one on Chris Atkin last year the, the in the playoffs—more so than the one on mike cooper the other week um and that one because of the way some of the wording was recorded basically in the first hearing about Technic- it was
0: thrown on a technicality isn't it?
3: they managed to get a lawyer who was clever enough to understand the wording better than the um the panel who'd written up the wording ha- ha- did themselves and morgan Knowles was able to escape a ban from, from that incident and then got a ban from the next game he played and a ban from one of the next three games he played in the World Cup as well and has already had a ban this year or a charge certainly earlier this year so um, that's where you then start to get into your aggravating and mitigating factors with going outside of the range is Morgan Knowles has got a clear record of receiving charges for Similar types of dangerous contact incidents, mm-hmm. as well as the mitigate the aggregate aggregating factor of the significant injury that was caused, like Ian yeah. says, that would be taken into consideration when you're sentencing in any sort of court in the land. So, why wouldn't the independent rules tribunal use the same factors?
0: Yeah, yeah, good no, absolutely right. And good, good, good point, good point, well made, Mark. <clears throat> um,
3: that takes us on to another question, then kind of segue Can is we- it- Whilst, whilst we're talking about just the grading and the differences and that sort of thing, because I know like that's what we've kind of talked about there with going outside and inside of the rules and that sort of thing. So a lot of people, I don't know how well they understand the process or not, but you have the match review panel that reviews every match. Uh, incidents that the referee gives a card for or puts on report, report are automatically reviewed, but also the match review panel, which is made up of X players played across the board in Super League, will... Um, make other observations themselves and they'll give the grading of the incident from their observations and then that if it's a grade d or higher will go to a rules tribunal or if it's a in fact I might have changed to a grade e and higher now that goes to the rules tribunal automatically or the club slash player can contest the charging or the grading and go to the tribunal themselves, which is like what Morgan Knowles did last year when he got the charge for the Chris Atkin chicken wing. Um So an incident recently that people might not have understood that might people might be asking questions about, for example, because I saw it on Twitter at the time. If you remember the Wigan versus Lee game, Ian Thornley got Simbin for a late hit on Gareth O'Brien, that actually the consequence of that tackle Gareth O'Brien hit the hit his head on the floor quite heavily, was concussed as a result and missed yeah, a game and the rest of that game. Willie Isa got picked up on a challenge as well by the match review panel. That was a late hit. Both of them were given grade B charges, but Willie Issa got a one-match ban, whereas Jake Wardle got a £250 fine because the range of punishment for a grade B penalty charge offence... That the match review panel can give is either that fine or ma- minimum the fine maximum the ban now because wigan and the players accepted both of those instances it never went to a, a tribunal the reason why willie isa got a one game ban and jake wardle didn't is jake wardle hasn't had any charges of like a similar offense or a grade c offense of any kind in the last 12, grade, no grade C in the last 12 years, no two similar offenses in the last three years. Willie Isa had a grade C high tackle charge last year. Arguably, that is not the same type of offense as a dangerous contact offense. But like Ian was saying, the rules have a, a bit in there where basically the match review panel can decide, can make the decision for themselves what's a relevant previous record and just disregard the wording of the law that says it has to be a similar offense and say any bad offense can be a similar offense so they said willie ice has got a grade c let's give him one game jake ward hasn't. let's give him the fine now wigan potentially could have contested that and said willie ice's offense isn't a similar offense so why are you giving him the one game ban, but then they go back to the word and say the match review panel decide what's a similar offence, not you, not us. So yeah, they could have argued
1: yeah. it was similar. They see it as yeah. being similar, and then getting into an argument. But it's a brilliant but what, description. What you're saying
3: though is the match review panel have seen those two instances exactly the same. Because the charges have been accepted, the fact that Gareth O'Brien suffered an injury isn't an aggravating or mitigating factor that the match review panel are allowed to assess upon. So. That didn't come into it like the injury for Mike Cooper did.
0: I've got a question here, which which has come from Twitter, which involves Gareth O'Brien, but he's he's the recipient.
3: Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, so, so the question was, sorry, Matt, um, why is there no consistency in in bands? Ben Reynolds at OKR gets two matches on a late hit. Jake Wardle knocked out Gareth O'Brien and got the two hundred and fifty-five pound fine. So that's the one that you're on about.
3: Yeah, the. Yeah. Um, the Reynolds one wasn't a televised game, so I've not I've only seen like a one camera distance away angle of it. So um and I don't know what Reynolds' pass record is, and I don't remember if they must have given him a grade C charge for him to have got that sort of um He got two matches. Yeah. So they must have given him a grade C charge to give him the two matches. And, and
0: Jake Wardle got a 250 pound fine.
3: Yeah, because they gave him a grade B charge. Um, and he was at the lower end of that because he's got no pass record. I can only assume that bear, that um, what's his what's the Reynolds is what's his first name Ben Reynolds ben, is it Ben Reynolds
1: yeah. <laughs> um, not Bert Ben Reynolds. Reynolds
3: has a That's walking the wand <laughs> has a relevant grade C and above charge in the last twelve months and was given a grade C charge for that to have been a two match ban.
0: Right. Well, that question came from Stevie B on the Dockhouse Twitter. So thanks for your question, Stevie. Hopefully we've cleared it there. Ian, do you want to interject anything on that? Why would Ben Reynolds at OKR get two matches for a late hit and Jake Wardle knocked out Gareth O'Brien, got a £250 fine?
2: Well, I, to be fair, I think Mark's absolutely nailed it there. It's about the frequency of the pass record and the grade of what the pass record is. And again, going back to our judicial system in the land, the more offences that you make the high, the, the, the degree of tariff of, of punishment. And uh, it just makes sense. You know, we, we're trying to uh, stop players repeatedly making these type of offences. One, to protect the other player, but also to to encourage them to play the game within the laws of the game in, a, in as physical but as safe as they possibly can. And uh, rather than have so many players sat out I'm okay with this fine system because, you know, it will hit them or the club in the pocket. And then if they keep doing it, that's when they, they start to get the bans and they start to accrue these multiple offences. Um, but, no, Mark
3: absolutely nailed that. Well done. <laughs> well yeah. done, Mark. Thank you. you get the awesome.
0: the on the judiciary panel.
3: I, I, do you know what? I'd love that. I'd probably be more biased than they are though because I actually support a club in Super League whereas I don't think any of them do.
1: No, <laughs> yeah I think the consistency question comes up time and time again and and, and you know I, I've tried to answer it myself several times. Not, and, and Ian said this as well in the past no two incidents are actually identical they're often very similar and often we can compare things at, at first glance, and then when, when we look at them in detail, they're actually quite different or subtly different that lead to different results, different bans or or fines. And is consistency really achievable in a game, in a, a profession, any professional sport? You've got thousands of incidents per game run by different referees at speed making a live call judgment. Is it possible... To be hundred percent consistent across all those games with all those incidents in every round of Super League, no. I, well, no
2: I, I, it, it can I be... can I come in on can I come in on that because you, you, you've got to take the referee away from that because the match review panel will look at every single game in its entirety, and they will make notes and so they will judge each incident on that merit, regardless of what the referee has done, whether it's on report, Simbin, send off, that might come in later on, but at that moment in time, they will be looking at that individual incident. Now, you, you, every single tackle have, will have little different nuances. Does he lose height? What about the force? What about the mitigating factor of a, um, an injury? What about two plays in the tackle? What about three? What about ducking? What about an elbow? What about the, the injuries? And there's so many different things. There is no two two tackles the same. So we're trying to perfect an imperfect outcome, if you like. So so we have to have some sort of a guideline, but within that, there is always going to be movements up and down them guidelines. And and I think the match review panel on the whole do a really good job. There's a couple that I've disagreed with them. I disagree yeah. with the I think it would call Sam Walters, the lead player. That was never a shoulder charge uh, in the Leeds-Centelli's game. Um but you know, that's all in my subjective opinion. You know, they're there, they're doing a job. You know, at some point, somebody has to put their hand up and make an ultimate decision on that grading. And you, you know, on Twitter, you see you see people who are pulls apart on that end and pulls apart on that end. So you will never, no matter yeah. what you do, you will always have some people who disagree. Uh, and yes. it's they've got to do with honesty, with integrity, mm-hmm. and do within a. Clearer boundaries as it can get the right outcome and it's virtually impossible let's
3: not forget the boundaries and the structure is agreed upon by the clubs um you know they have representatives that go to these meetings in the off season and agree Uh, they've agreed on the changes that have changed the way that the bands are handed out this year so that there's more fines and fewer bands they'll have agreed on the different wordings for the different categorizations of the tackles so you know the the match review panel are just trying their best to apply the rules that the RFL, with lots of input from the clubs, have have come up with. And on that Ben Reynolds one, he actually got a grade D charge, so it won't be in his past record. He got the bottom end he could get for a grade D charge Um, and with late hits because David I know you want to talk a bit more about late hits anyway yeah I think that makes a difference with a late hit and Ian will be able to talk more about how the referees can see this on the field and then how the match review panel maybe can see this more afterwards but it's all about really the flexion of the neck which obviously comes from in part the impact of the tackle and the timing of the tackle and the lateness of it, or the angle you come in from with the late tackle as well. But the flexion of the neck is where the grading comes from. So if someone gets hit and then gets knocked out because there's maybe some incidental head to head contact, or he hits the floor hard after getting the hit that might not be as bad in terms of the way the late hit is viewed by the match review panel. Cause that's all about the flexion of the neck Um, in terms of the possibility of causing injury and that sort of thing.
1: Well, it's a good point. I suppose we can move on to that now. Um, It's a natural movement into those late hits. We've seen a lot of bans this year and a lot of talk and and sim bins because of late hits. So when is it late and when is it just the ball carrier making the defender make a decision and slipping the ball? How does a referee make that judgment? Have you any insight into that, Ian? It's just like that. It's literally just that, you know, can the, can the player
2: pull out or is he committed? And and it is literally a fraction of a second. At pace, uh, a, a defender genuinely goes to make a tackle and he passes. Because what you got to bear in mind is an halfback in particular where most of these are put. An halfback wants to draw contact. He yeah. wants to draw a collision. He wants to commit a player to him who hasn't got the ball. So the play is designed to almost create late contact. But then there are times where a, a defender will think, I'm sick of him, keep running around and, and not getting a glove laid on him. So I'm going to let him have it as soon as he's passed the ball. <laughs> whether he's got the ball
1: or not, he's having it. Well, sometimes whether he's got the
2: ball or not. But Mark's absolutely right. It's about the flexion of the neck. It's about the risk of injury. Uh, to the spinal uh, column, if you like, uh, rather than the actual concussion of hitting the ground or clashing heads. It's more about the flexion of the neck. And, and if it's a push, uh, then again, you can go on force. You know, if it's a little push where the end might go back a little bit, is different than did they come in with a swinging arm after he's passed it. And you can obviously see the, the big, so even, the even that, the flexion of the neck will be judged on force, the amount of whiplash that 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 created. So it's not necessarily just about the lateness, it's about the force as well and how much flexion on the neck that force has caused. So
1: is that in part low, Ian, because the ball carrier has passed it and isn't expecting contacts because they've relaxed their body, relaxed their neck, because they go into contacts all the time and don't get the same level of whiplash as you get from a late hit. So I'm assuming it's because... Uh, it's it, it's more aware of that happening when they've passed the ball, they've relaxed, and then the the shots come in. So the the neck is relaxed, the muscles are relaxed. Is yeah, that, and, it, and it's so also
2: the, it's also the the vast majority of these are from behind. So again, they probably passed and relaxed, and then you know that it's like in a car. The the whiplash injuries tend to be when a car hits you from behind. You, the first thing of your head is to rock back and it's that rocking back when you pass the ball and they come in from behind uh, when you're going into contact and you're bracing and somebody hits you from front even though your head might come down that is not the risk it's that that going back yeah. where there's a higher risk of, of flexion to the spine
1: so i suppose if you've drawn the defender and committed them you know you're going to get the tackle so even though you've passed it, you're bracing yourself as you would as if you were driving the ball up. So you're not going to get that same level of whiplash. And that's a fur late hit, even though the ball's gone because it's a committed tackle, as opposed to a split second later, the ball's gone, you've relaxed, and boom, you've mm-hmm. got a whiplash injury yeah. or or you've hit your floor on the on the head. So well, there, you, know, it seems you, know, something you know, you're more yourself... aware of this year. Sorry, miss that. It seems to be something they're paying more attention to this year. Yeah, because they're trying to clean the game up. They're trying
2: to make uh, the, the game as physical as possible, but as safe as possible for players. And the whiplash injuries and the neck flexion injuries, uh, potential long-term. So they're trying to stop players needlessly, not committed, Not they're not trying to stop committed players, they're trying to stop the needless push mainly on the half-bike, but it's not only, but on the half-bike, who's running across, who passes that ball and somebody then comes bowling into it from behind a needless risk to injury. Where in the past, it might have been a penalty, but now it's a penalty and the charge.
1: Thanks,
3: Ian. Thanks. The, yeah. the flexion of the neck um, sort of language, the first time I know it was being talked about quite a lot was probably 2019, maybe 2020, going into 2020, um, was when I heard that getting used a lot in the match review panel minutes and that sort of thing I think so it's it's just becoming more aware of different things I think constantly the game's getting more aware of stats and information and things like that I mean this, one of the things you've seen this year is less ta- less um, charges and stuff on some of the high tackles or even some of the high tackles that we thought would be a yellow card or a red card in the past the referee saying it lost height and you were doing your, you know you, you hit him in the head so I've got to give something but you weren't you, that's not. It's not fully through your own actions. That like it's hit him in the head, and I think the Brad Singleton one in the Good Friday game is an example where he's made direct contact. It was a a reach, not a swinging arm. Um, I mean, watch it as many times as you want. With St. Helens fans will tell you it's a swinging arm, and I'll tell you it wasn't. But I don't think it was. It was a reach. Um, but it's hit him straight in the head, and normally you'd expect that to have been a card or a charge, and and it wasn't because they've changed how they view that. But part of what's informed them changing how they view that there's a big study done where it says most of the concussions seem to be the defending player making tackles wrong rather than them getting hit the the attacking player, getting hit in the head. So it's always being educated all the time. These things,
2: which makes (laughs) it the bizarre thing about, sorry for cutting across your key, which makes the rugby union thing about tackle from the, the waist down ludicrous in my opinion because the, the vast majority of them concussions are players getting their head on the wrong side or two players coming hips. in are, are clashing heads. So so if, if you're going to make tackles from the
1: waist down, you're going to create more of that. I, I've been concussed oh. twice playing rugby and both times were my uh, I went low and got the, my head in the wrong position, the yeah. hip. It's surprising how many concussions happen from the hip. Hip uh, or a knee, and, uh,
0: one off a knee. Doing a tackle, coming down, sliding yeah. down. They've they've escaped out. Boom,
1: gone. Yeah. Which is why you changed your tackling style and started tackling people around the head. <laughs> Keith, you found it much safer. Was much much. I had far less concussions when
0: I was doing head high <laughs> tackling. I've got to say.
2: But Mars made a fair point there uh, regarding the the height. You know that is that is a thing that the referees I've changed. You know because Brad Singleton, if it, if. I can't remember who the ball carrier was, but if the ball carrier had kept the same height, you are allowed to swing with a swinging arm, by the way. You're just not allowed to make contact with the head. So even if it is a swinging arm, if the ball carrier and lost height at the very last, last second, we're talking about, you know, at what point is it uh, committed or at what point is the push for the, for the whiplash? And the flexion of the neck, and it's the same with that. Brad Singleton, whether it's a swinging arm or a grab, whatever. If it wasn't for the ball carrier losing height, that would have been a perfectly legal tackle. But yeah, just like that, a fraction of a second—we're talking a fraction of a second—the ball carrier loses height. Then, yeah, absolutely, it's going to be a penalty because he's made contact with the head. But I'm, I'm cool, and I'm okay with the benefit of the doubt now going. Uh, with the with the yeah. defender because he did not go in with the intent yeah. to it's not, it's clock not an, somebody around the head. It's not an intentional, and I think that should be
0: should should be factored in, shouldn't it? Mm. You know, was it an intentional swinging arm to the head? No, it was an intentional swinging arm tackle to the to the chest to the chest, but the trajectory of the of the opposing player differed, and it ended up a head tackle. I want to play devil's advocate here then as well, because I hear a lot of people going on saying the game's going soft, you know, the the penalising late tackles more, high tackles more, you know, um, it was better years ago. What's what's your opinion of it? Obviously, the intensity of the tackle um, within the game at the moment, Ian and Mark.
2: Um. It was brutal um, back in the day. And uh, the, the sad thing is that the amount of concussions that some of these players are getting, and I'm not going to go down that route regarding some of the cases mm. that, that people are bringing now. Uh, it was brutal. And uh, we were, I won't say openly encouraged to miss eye tackles because we weren't, but there was an acceptance. A lot of these little grabs now where it starts there and it's an almost a, just a little grab. They were, they were never ever thought of as high tackles. It was it was part and parcel, if that's the right word, that it was inevitable that some players will get some head shots. Uh, yes, by all means, get the swinging arms and the you know, uh, my good friend Barry McDermott with Stuart Fieldens and, and your Nick oh, wow. Fozard, which was on the other, you know, they they, you know, they're high tackles, but the game was brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I miss the biff, if I'm being honest, but I don't miss the consequences long-term for the player about
1: the biff because we've got to look after players. We talk quite a lot now about uh, contact force. So I know uh, back in the day in, in sort of the area you're alluding to Lurie and yeah, your, your props and you've always tended to be bigger than than your your backs were now. They're a bit more interchangeable, a lot of the players, and they're all very athletic, very muscular Uh, but not always carrying the same level of weight as they once did. But I think the force of the tackle is just as great very often and probably more consistent. So you might have had some bigger hits from the bigger forwards in the past, but now you're getting a lot more force from probably lighter people, just as muscular, but maybe not carrying just as much weight. Um, These are broad observations, by the way, you know, very broad. But the, the you know you're getting that constant contact force that I've heard coaches speak about. Even if you 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 80 kilograms, and uh, you know, I say Liam Farrell, the contact in, in those tackles, extreme force. Even though he's uh, a lot smaller than some of the back rowers we've seen in the past, so it's an interesting topic thinking about force. And it all works with the late hits and high tackles. It all has to be factored in. And considered, but if I can move this along, if there's no other points on that, to kind of the the, the third and final topic on referee decisions, and that's around uh, touching down the ball. Um, so probably aim this uh, again at Mark and and Ian. There's been a number of incidents where we've seen grounding.
3: Can we no talk the about ref. the? Can we talk about the Morgan Knowles ones and the Saints fans who thought that was a try because they found a still where the hand was on the ball on the floor, <laughs> like two <laughs> frames after it was completely in no control whatsoever? Is that one of the ones on the list? But that possibly. The, the, <laughs>
1: the, well, there's been so many this season. I don't remember in any previous season so many talking points on the grounding of the uh, of the rugby ball. So you, you you've got several were. If the kick through, can you dive on it and touch it down with any part of your body? If you've got control of it in your hand, you lose it, but catch it again before putting it down, is that fine? Or is it not fine because there's been separation? If you ground it at the time you've dropped it, is that different than uh, having the separation, catching it, then putting it down? There's so many subtle variations. We've seen them where they've touched down, but they've rolled onto the forearm. Mm. Is that loss of control? Or if you put it down with your forearm from a kick through, is that okay? So I don't know if you can unpick any of all those different subtle variations that have led to tries and no tries over the last couple of months. Do
3: or do not. There is no try.
1: Oh, well,
2: let go first. Go
3: on, Mark. (laughs) Well, you'd be the expert on this, but I follow with um, great interest what you tell people on on Twitter about these things. Certainly, the two most recent incidents as we're talking will be the Warrington-Wigan game where there was two two instances that went up as no try. One was overturned by the video referee and one was not overturned by the video referee. The one for Brad O'Neill, the video referee decided that, there was still contact with the ball um, when he got it grounded. He still had it within his fingertip grasp. So he hadn't lost control. Um, Whereas the Greg Minikin one, the sort of decision was that his hand came away from the ball. So in that happening, he lost control. So even though he managed to, it seemingly to me, maintain some sort of possession under in sort of the, crook of his arm type thing as he was going to the ground I thought that one was fine but I can but when it's gone up and you can see the hand coming away from the ball that's where you're talking about that regathering and not regathering isn't it and obviously the Morgan Knowles one where he clearly dropped it hit the floor and then he put his hand on top of it totally different situation altogether shouldn't even be a debate it's laughable that it was
1: yeah because it was already (laughs) a a drop ball and yeah you're
3: right the the Wigan Warrington game was interesting
1: because the Brad O'Neill one didn't look like a try to me Although when you watch it in slow mo, if they're getting grounded, if that's a rule, then that then it is a try. Where the Warrington one looked far more like a try, but again, to the letter of the law, it, it actually isn't. Are we correcting in our assumptions?
2: Yeah, yeah. The video ref got got them right. Um, if you if you if you have bouldered the ball, uh, if 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 you go down to to do the bot. Try score the try. If your hands come away from the ball, you th- you then have to regrip it. You can't catch it up as it's on its way down and just put it with the flat of your hand. You have to regrip the ball uh, before then you put it down. If you have hold of the ball in one hand, you've already got grip of it. And even if then, as long as it doesn't come away from from your hand, all you have to do then is take it to the ground. Which what happened in the first uh, Wigan try. Uh, The other day, he's he's put it down, he's he's gone and he's scored it. Um, And even though there's only downward pressure with the fingers, that's all you need. It doesn't say you have to have 10 PSI. You have to have 10, you know, there's no no pound per square inch on downward pressure. You know, if you've got the ball and you haven't lost it, there's no separation, then I'm coming down. The ball can be coming away from my hand, but as long as my little finger's on it, there's no separation. From the hands. So so as long as I go down, even if the ball is coming away, if I go down and I get downward pressure with my little finger on that ball, that is a try. And the first try, it, see, you know, the, the referee was unsighted, come from behind. The way the ball bounced up, it looked all day long like it was no try. Uh, but the, the video ref, you could clearly see that there was no separation and the fingers were bent back. So that means there was downward pressure. And that is a try. Um, the second one, uh, the Minikin one, the live call is crucial on that because the live call goes up as no try. So what he's saying is that the hand came away from the ball. So you couldn't prove that the hand didn't come away from the ball. So therefore, the video rep had to go with the live call. If the, in my opinion, if the live call would have been try, because you wouldn't have had any evidence because of optical illusion and the the hand totally come away, you would have given a try because you couldn't prove that there was a gap between the ball and the hand. But because the call went up as no try, you couldn't prove that that there wasn't. So the live call on that was crucial. Uh, And because the live call was no try, Tom Grant, the video ref, had no choice but to come up with no try.
1: Did well, that made the difference to the game. No, it Had was thirteen.
2: It, it should have been thirteen, twelve. It's. Uh, I, I think there's a there's an irrelevance to that, David. Though I, I, the refs don't want to, they don't want to get it wrong. Even if the the outcome is immaterial, the outcome to them might be material because it might be the difference in them being in championship next year. Mm-hmm. Or instead of getting, you know, Warrington Saints this week with respect, they get Wigan Wakefield. And you want Warrington Saints this week? You want Salford Catalan? you don't, you want le- leads. You want, what you, you, want don't want. You, you don't want, you don't want Wig, with respect, I was at Wakefield today, you don't want Wigan Wakefield, <laughs> because there's a likelihood, a highly likelihood, that it will be, a very high score, I'm not saying the rest, go going expecting that, uh, but we're not naive, we're not stupid, we know which teams, are better than other teams, Um so there is a consequence people say oh there's no there's no accountability to the referees no accountability there's more referees get dropped for making a mistake than any players yeah you know will yeah. minikin get will get dropped for dropping the ball over the line in the last seconds of the Warrington game absolutely not last
3: mm-hmm. no. no. season I, sorry. last season i thought james child was the best referee in the competition in the first half of the year and he got the challenge cup final didn't he off the back of his performances in the first half of the year and then he was video referee at a game at leeds um where he where there was a try awarded incorrectly by the on-field referee where harry newman dived between a defender's legs Mm -hmm. um and through or was harry newman i think harry newman scored it but he dived through the marker's legs took out a player went up to the video referee who was James Child. Everyone knew that James Child should have been overturning that, but James Child made a mistake and went with a live call and allowed that try to be given. James Child then didn't referee a game in Super League for six weeks, I think, after that. Mm. And he was the best referee in the competition up to that point. Mm. I, well, that's my opinion anyway, but he clearly was thought highly of by the referees department as well because he got the Challenge Cup pile. Um And I just thought that, you know, that shows the scrutiny that the... And he wasn't the only one who made a mistake in that instance, but the, his was the more clear one because he had the time to sit there and watch it and call it right. And he lost his lost his games for the next six weeks because of that. Yeah, and the, who knows the, if that the punish, a part the the in his punishment to retire? Yeah, the
2: the punishment was disproportionate to to the the offence, if you like, what James made. You know, yeah, James had a brain fart. You know, he just lost the and and he
3: gave an incorrect decision. You know he said that was, he was wrong as well. I, I actually spoke to him about it in the, in, during the World Cup uh, yeah. game and he said, yeah, I just yeah. des- I deserve to get suspended. I deserve to get pulled because I've, I've made the wrong call and he deserved mm. the criticism, he said.
0: Mm. So, so so the answer here is, and to put up there to the viewers, is that, yes, there is a consequence to referees for making big,
2: bad judgments in, in a way or, or having a bad game. Oh, well, people don't don't look at the appointments on a weekly basis. You know they just assume that that match officials and referees aren't accountable. But if, if you watch the appointments on a regular basis, you will see where referees are dropped or arrested or whatever you want to call it. And uh, and not only does that have a consequence on the finance, you know, they don't get as much money. Uh it it, you know, Mark's absolutely spot on. That probably costs James. Uh, a grand final are oh, certainly there are thereabouts a grand final you know but uh, people don't see it because one they probably don't want to because it's easy to say that it's a ref's fault and, and look again we're not fallible refs make make mistakes you know a referee will run 11 kilometres in a game they'll burn 1700 calories they'll have an average heart rate of 155 260 beats per minute uh, so the amount of thousands of judgments that they're making, so not up here, but also physiologically as well. Uh, I've never made a mistake from my settee watching a game on Sky, you know, but I made plenty out there because people don't realise how difficult it is. But to say that they don't, there's no consequence is, is a bizarre uh, statement. Yeah. Yeah and I'd like I'd like to change the mindset
0: towards referees as well because they, they are the pantomime villain everybody either side would you know not favour a referee before a kick off and yeah when your team knocks on you don't boo them you don't call them all the names under the sun you just don't they don't do it again and if they do it two or three times on bouts yeah they might get a bit of a a bit of stick from the crowd but that's it you know people love them again um, whereas with a referee, like you say, you're making constant decisions under immense pressure in split seconds of time, and uh, I think they should be given a fair crack of the whip, really. And people should back off and just realise that the the people doing a job for pay, and if they don't do it right, like you say, Ian, they'll go to the lower leagues or a lower game or miss out on a cup final, and they get hit in the pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, you know there are consequences to the job,
1: and they don't do it on purpose. No, yeah. Well, yeah, if it was that- easy, everybody'd do it,
0: wouldn't <laughs> it. Yeah, but I just want to pull you up on some of what you said before, Ian, if I can, and if you don't mind, you said you wouldn't want to do like a Wigan Wakefield game where it's let's say it's like sixty nil. Why? Why would you not? What, no, no. What, I, I, I know. I know. It was. It was probably a bit, a bit tongue in cheek. But is is the games where, if it's one sided, as a referee, what what would you not enjoy about that, or or does, or does that not matter?
2: Um. Oh, look. I, w- I was. It was slightly tongue in cheek. But I, I'll tell you now that all the referees, the full time referees, this weekend, they'll be wanting uh, Warrington Saints yeah on Thursday. They will it's be a wanting. profile
3: thing, isn't it? Rather yeah. than a disrespect to the... Yeah. you, you don't want into, they, they don't think necessarily Wakefield, Wigan, whatever. No one is going to be really paying attention to that game unless Wakefield beat Wigan, and which would be a surprise. Whereas everyone will be watching the Thursday night game on telly, the Friday night game on telly. Everyone will be watching, you know, to see if Warrington can keep top because they won't be top if they lose on Friday or if St. Ellen's can... You know, keep sliding towards relegation and being in that battle with Wakefield. Yeah. <laughs> so, so... <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, so, but going going back to your original point, it, it's there is a competition within the rest department. So, so, if if you if you get that game on Thursday night, you know that you you're running well. If you get the the Wigan Wakefield with respect again, you know you'd be thinking, right, what do I need to do to get the, the Thursday Friday night? games with, with the, the big teams you know right. what what am I am I doing something wrong is yeah. because you know there there are hierarchy within Super League games uh, like there are you know the rest want to be on them best games that's that's human nature yeah. you know they're incredibly competitive bunch as we were you know we with some incredible characters you know, the first six, I was in the first six to be made full-time in 2006. There were uh, Ashley Klein, Richard Silverwood, Steve Ganson, Phil Bentham, Ben Thaler, and myself, you know, and, and there were some strong characters, but they wanted the finals. They didn't want to pat me on the back and say, oh, well done, Ian. Not that I didn't get any, by the way, but, you know, they they wanted them. And uh, so really competitive. That's why they don't want to make mistakes. It's, yeah. say, oh, it, don't matter. Oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter can still won the game it does matter I can yeah. assure you to me Chris Kendall got that decision wrong on Friday which he didn't by the way he, he will have been gutted
0: yeah does it does it give you or is it a bit more intense when it is a televised game and it's a big game I mean, does do the butterflies kick in or is it just like any other game or when it, when it when it's a bigger one you know
2: do you do you feel it a little bit more? Yeah of course you do I think that's human nature you know whether it's conscious or subconscious but you know when you when you walk out and and it's just electric and you know you don't know the outcome you don't know that that because and you, you you look around and you see all your different protagonists and you're thinking right. I've got to be careful of him stealing ball. I've got to be careful there where it might be a high tackle. I've got to work on this right on the edge because I've noticed that they keep going offside in other previous games. And you you're muddling it and and it's just wonderful. And you've got all them emotions and and even now I can feel the goosebumps just coming up. Uh, and you want them juices to flow. Uh, but also, what you've also got to do is on the Wigan-Wakefield game, again, going back to with respect, you got to prove that, right, if, if this is where they see me in the hierarchy of Super League, I've got to show my coaches and my bosses in the game that that this game isn't beneath me. And I want them to show, uh, I want everybody to see that, really, Ian Smith shouldn't be on this Wigan-Wakefield game. He should be on the next uh, Saints-Warrington or Wigan Saints game. Uh, and that's the mindset that you have to have as a referee to prove to your bosses and the game that you want
1: the next big game you want the semi-final you want the final um, it's, a, it's a way of always striving to better yourself and be seen to do better and climb that ladder everyone in a career has aspirations to be as successful as it uh, possibly can and that's no different with referees you saying uh, it's how you measure
2: success though and this is well, this is a you know <laughs> um I never refereed a grand final or a Champions Cup final or, or any final. Um, but when I first started refereeing at 30 years of age, my ambition was to referee one Super League game, just one. That was it, one Super League game. I refereed 282, so I overachieved 282 times on my original uh, ambition. So again, it's where, it's where you measure ambition and where
1: you measure what is success. Um, There is a philosophy that you may be aware of that um, your personal satisfaction comes from where you believed you would be in your life at this age in terms of achievements to where you actually are. So if you believed that you would be um, not in employment at all and you're working in a very basic job role, you're very happy because you've you've exceeded your expectations. If you wanted to be the head of Google and you're um, just running several small successful businesses, you're quite down about you've not met your goals. You know, nowhere near where you thought you would be, and people can be quite dissatisfied. And a lot of that is uh, um, relates to how um, well you feel about yourself as well. It might have been yourself who told me this, Ian. I'm not sure. No, I've I've not heard that one. I'm trying to
2: write it down.
1: (laughs) But it makes (laughs) sense to (laughs) me But it does make sense to me that, and I think you've touched upon that. You aim to have one Super League game, and you had 282, was it? Therefore, Mm. you're you're very successful in what you set out to be. Um, So hopefully that helps explain the measuring success
3: when the first ever episode of Super League Pod had 50 listens I thought this is this is amazing this is the most crazy thing that's ever happened and we went on and did it for nine years getting you know many more than 50 listens per show so yeah yeah, yeah.
1: So, so you felt great about that because you achieved what you more than what you set out to achieve
3: exactly yeah
1: so it was very very successful and it's a brilliant pod and hopefully you'll bring it
3: back sometime no no, it's not coming back mate
1: (laughs) oh I don't know about that I don't know I'm going to keep uh, pushing (laughs)
3: you on
0: that I I think we've got a little winning formula here with with certain things that come up you know I mean Mark you're very good on on your, your statistics and you know, you can, your memory recall is far better than mine. It's amazing, mate.
3: And, I haven't and, got the direct experience that you three have got of actually being involved in these high pressure moments. So but, just from, but, from the sidelines, I just need as much knowledge as I can to consume.
0: Well, <laughs> that's why it works. It, it, it's, um, you know, it, it's a nice little mastermind
3: that, that we've got going on here. Um, it, it, it's great. I think there's. Can I. Can I ask Ian a question before we move on to your stats, David, that you want to yeah, talk sure. about? Is that all right? Because whilst yeah, we're talking yeah. about performances and things that have happened in games and stuff, did anything ever happen to you like what happened to um, Tom Grant in the Castleford-Wigan game earlier this season where effectively he got in the way of the play, didn't he, and stopped what could have been a try being scored um, in that game? And and how would you react to that sort of a moment in, in a game as a referee? Uh, I'd... I...
2: I don't think I ever got in the way that way. I have got in the way of fullbacks who were going across and trying to get across, and, but I think some of that they were trying to make an excuse. <laughs> um, there was one um, Centellians going back many years ago, and I can't think of the second row, what he was called, an Australian. Darren, Darren, Darren. Darren McVeigh? <laughs> no, no. Anyway, do not matter. So he, he went into the... Um, in-goal area to score a try and I couldn't get out of the way and he, he pushed me over uh, as it happened.
0: Was it not J- Jared McCracken?
2: No, no. No, can't think who it was. He had a brother who played in Super League as well but it did not matter. Uh, yeah. And he, he, he run into the in-goal at Knowsley Road and, uh, and he, he pushed me over. Because uh, I couldn't get out of the way quick enough, and as he dro- he dropped the ball, but as it happened, it doesn't really matter because if you drop the ball over the goal area by running into the referee, it's covered by law anyway. So the try the try was still awarded where he dropped the ball, um, but I just couldn't get out of his way quick <laughs> enough. Uh, so yeah, I got pushed over, and it was it was quite fun. I think they showed it on Soccer AM watch me just uh, doing a tumble and kept (laughs) reversing it and doing a tumble and reversing it. So that was, uh, but no, I can't remember a player running into me in the field of player to prevent a try, but I I can remember fullbacks trying to say, I'm in the way and, and, just pushed me out of the way a couple of times because uh, the referee will, will be like a fullback. When the ball's going that way, we will track so we can see it. So if there's any drop-offs on the back on the inside. So if you ever watch a referee, they'll almost mirror a fullback's uh, movements across the line. Mm. So sometimes you can get in the way of, of a fullback. Um, I hope that answered it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: As a player, I used to run up the referee from acting <laughs> halfback because that's the only place to be a gap. Is that when it was five meters, or Keith? And... I
2: don't. Is that when it was five meters? It was or... five meters then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd never run at me now at ten meters. No,
0: I wouldn't run at you now. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> I wouldn't make not. it. No, ten that's the
1: referees out. <laughs> 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 <out>. <laughs> <laughs> So, should we move on to the uh, fan perception survey then, Keith? Yeah, let's do it, Dave. You've been busy this week with your little surveys. Yeah, yeah, and very interesting. So I've run several fan perception surveys, and it's to get the views of the fans on how they see referees, match review panels and, and teams and, and so on. And really uh, looking forward to hearing Mark's views on these, because, as you said, Keith, Mark's excellent at things like data and understanding data. And then your perceptions of this yourself, Ian, and, and your understanding of what's coming through. So uh, the first one, um, how many um, of the fans believe that their team is in the correct place in Super League? Do they believe, or do they believe, that the referees have uh, impacted their position? So would the if it wasn't for ref errors, would their team be higher in the league? Or would their team be lower? Or is their team in the correct position? So 57% said they believe their position is correct. So their team's position in Super League is accurate and correct. 38% of the fans believe their team should be higher in Super League, but for ref errors and MRP decisions. And just 4% believe their team should be lower in Super League. So any observations data wise on that first of all mark well
3: wakefield fans can't can't um, <laughs> take part can they so <laughs> based on based yeah. on those stats
0: i think it's no well, i it's, think they believe the the are where they should be
3: yeah that's what yeah it's 30, surprising 57% um, yeah it's it's surprising uh that it's i'm actually surprised that 58% think they're in the right position um you must have had like say a lot of warrington and wakefield fans voting um, because the the other the thirty eight percent number is the one I guess that you'll give more focus to. Um, but that's quite a decent majority for, of people thinking that the team's in the right position. That suggests there's a an element of level headedness among Super League fans that I think your next uh, results are going <laughs> to push push out of the picture.
1: Quite possibly, yeah. Quite possibly, and I suppose thirty eight percent of the teams couldn't be higher, and only four percent be lower. It would have to be an equal number, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I, I do
2: so, like maths. I'm just, uh, I'm just <laughs> smiling because I'm surprised it's not 100 uh, of the teams, except for Warrington, because uh, yeah. you can't wire them first. Um, would not blame the referee. So, yeah. fair play to to some of them who didn't blame the referee. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, it may be uh, contradictory when we look at the second one. <laughs> Um, So the question was, do you believe your team is more harshly treated by refs and the MRP and the RFL in general than other teams? 86% of fans believe their own team is treated far more harshly. 13% think it's equal. And just two people voted with an overall 0.1% felt their team was treated leniently by the RFL. So 86% of teams are treated more harshly than other teams. Can you
3: understand that data for us? That that's closer than what we would to what we would expect, wouldn't we? So, like one thing I've always said is there's there's probably depending on what you know, whether you're on a video referee game, in which case there'll be four people in the stadium that aren't biased. Um if it's a no video referee, you've got in goal judges, there's five people in the stadium that aren't biased outside of those fat four or five people everyone else is biased so um so you would expect most people to think that their team get the wrong end of the stick because that's in a way it's part of our job as fans isn't it to think a little bit that our team are badly done to and try and put some pressure on on the referee um you'd wonder if say it was the opposition full-back throwing the forward passes that Brent Webb used to throw to set-up tries for, for Leeds Rhinos for all those years, would he have got away with it in front of that south stand shouting forward at every single pass no matter how many yards backwards, sideways or what have you it might be? Um, the job of the fans is to put a bit of pressure on the opposition, on the referees and put a bit of support behind your, your team during the 80 minutes, of course, um, where it becomes a bit silly is when it rolls over into things well outside the 80 minutes live in in this poll that your team is more harshly dealt with because that's because you're looking at this with only the angle of what you see as a fan of your team and i've learned from many years of trying to watch as many super league games as possible um that within games there might be games that i feel like the decisions go one way or another but actually it's pretty much consistent that when mistakes are made, mistakes are made equally amongst all people. And don't forget the referee has to make more involvements in a match than any other player has to make. So they're bound to make some mistakes. Um, so, yeah, it, that doesn't surprise me because of how biased we all are. But at the same time, it's it's nonsense and can't possibly be the truth that every team is more harshly dealt with by the referees than every other team. Yeah. Well, I think
2: it's great that everybody thinks that their, their team is harshly done. So at least it's a complete circle, isn't it? You know, all right, it's not 100%. One thing we agree on. But, it, but it, you know, so if if every, you know, every every single Fan always used to think I favoured the other team. Well, so that means I I favoured all the other twelve yeah. uh, or all the other eleven out of twelve. So so therefore it's it's a, a perfect symmetry because I can't be biased. You know I, I can't be biased against every team. You know two yeah. teams are playing. Apparently I'm biased against both. Well I can't be biased <laughs> against both and biased for both. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that's that's the beauty about that stat. It just shows that everybody thinks the referee wants the other side, but even the other side think that the referee wants that side. So it's
1: yeah. a great stat. I don't think you actually see the errors that go in your favour. If the referee misses a, a knock on, yeah, uh, and and it's in favour of your team, it almost doesn't register.
3: But if that error is against your You'd team... You think he's just making up for the ones that have gone against your team, yeah. It counts, it, the ones yeah. against your team count double, Justified. David, it's yeah.
1: justified. That, that, that's what you tend to tell yourself, isn't it? Well, when you see one go against your team, you're in uproar, you remember that. So after the game, when you when you're thinking it through, you're thinking, we were really robbed by that ref. Not thinking about all the things that went in your favour. I'd I'd say it's probably cognitive dissonance as well because very often you want to come away from a game, it can't be my team who lost that. We're too good. No, 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 I can't have that. It must have been another factor that led to our team losing, which must have been the referee or we were missing a player because the panel banned them for so many games, four games when it should have been one and it's unfair. So I think there's a lot of that going on. Well, I've just got one more left and then I've got a question that's come in around uh, potential bias so following on from the first two fan perception surveys is if you agree, so it's aimed at the 86% uh, that teams are treated more harshly, or to reverse that, are favoured which are the teams who are favoured which teams are favoured in Super League? There were four absolute standout teams who are favoured by referees according to the survey. And those are Wigan, their top, St. Helens, then Leeds, then Warrington. So, so those are people who voted on this were with...
0: Saints fans voting for Wigan. Warrington <laughs> fans. Voting. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Possibly. I just think it's nice to be top of the table for us. It's been a <laughs> while. <so. laughs> what
1: we could do is is list all twelve in order and then the referees know before they take the pitch which one's a favouring, you know, in case they forget, because it'll tell them on this on this list. Yeah. I but- think Mark's got a
2: point though. Just just jumping in on that regarding the volume of the crowd. You know, what you get is you get a genuine penalty that was needed to be given. But because the crowd have bellowed it, there's almost a perception that it's a crowd penalty. Mm. And I used to always say to my touch judges, if you hear the fans shouting, offside, 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 I do not want you coming in with crowd penalties because it's almost like a gotcha. Well, the crowd been paying for it in that cheer, you know, so you've almost got to get rid of that. But because them four teams are the best supported and the loudest, the, the perception is from the, the smaller, in inverted commas, smaller teams is that they're just giving crowd penalties. And I hate yeah. crowd penalties. The, the penalties are genuine, but because the crowd are paying for it, for the lesser teams and the, the lesser supported teams, Brian McDermott always used to say to London Broncos, because there's no way fans travelled up to your Wigan, your Leeds, your Saints. You know, there was no shout to forward. There was no shout to get them onside, get them onside because it wasn't there. So all the penalties seem to go for Leeds, we can say it's because of the volume, which is exactly what Mark's saying there. Yeah. But whether that's subconscious, because I would never go out and consciously give a crowd penalty because I used to hate it. But sometimes they are necessary. You've just got to give them because it's the penalties, right? Not because of the crowd. But again, going back on perception is, oh, the crowd's given that. They shouted the loudest and got it. And because they, they, they're shouting the loudest, they got it. No, they got it regardless of what the crowd said because the opposition were offside. Uh, but perception is nine no tenths of the is- law. What
1: jumped out at me at this is those four teams who are favoured far more than the others. Um, three of them are the most successful teams in Super League, and one of them is the current top of the table. So, have they only been successful and now wanting to know the top of the table because they're being favoured by referees, or are they top of the table because they're the best teams and therefore it appears, as you say, it's a it's just a, a appears in the perception that they get favoured. Which one of the two?
3: Well, the top of the table because it took them nine weeks to play Wigan. No, um, <laughs> the, the top of the table because they've got George Williams and Paul Vaughan, who are probably the two best players so far all told this season that's why the top of the table but the the reason why like you say those four teams get come out on that list is because they're the four most hated teams so they hate each other like Keith was pointed (laughs) out and then all the other eight teams hate them too because they're the successful teams so like you know Obviously, Hull FC are a very well-supported team and had some success a few years ago in the Challenge Cup. But right now, their fans are probably ducking social media Um, anyway. So, couldn't get involved in the poll to say it's the Robins that are the the most famous team.
1: Well, many of them would argue, many fans would argue, it's uh, because they're the top teams, referees assume that they're going to be onside and therefore don't give them offside even though they are. So, there's a subconscious bias uh, it's not something I've ever bought into. I'll be honest. Uh, I, not that subconscious bias doesn't exist in humans and human society, it, it does. But but you simply call them whether they're onside, offside, whether it's a knock on, not a knock on. I don't believe that a subconscious bias plays as any significant part in in all those decisions. Can anyone prove me wrong? Uh, oh, look. What you find is forget the
2: offsides for a minute. What you find is the best teams have the best players get the best contact. And the best contact means that you don't need to have that second leg pull. That means you don't have to go back in with the hand on the ball to slow the ruck down because I've slowed and controlled the ruck just purely on dominance. And I, don't, I can go into the, the Wigan-Warrington yeah. game. You know, there was a lot of ch- chat about play the ball speed. Wigan earned the right to control the ruck speeds. On, on Friday night because the uh, first up contact was tremendous and Warrington didn't have any answer to it um, so if you've got the better teams or the better players you know I can't ever remember um, oh what was he called played Brisbane great um Played went to Bradford and Catalan just forgot his name Steve Menzies I I can never ever remember penalising Steve Menzies for interference at the Rook because it's clinical the way he bent his back the way he drove the way he cut a player in half the way he ended up on that tackle he didn't need to go put his hand back on the ball so the better players will be penalised less because by definition they are better players and they will end up in better positions so therefore the 10 metres are coming back they said they don't need to go early because they know they'll win the next collision so that's why they're the top teams because they've got the best players and they don't need to be penalised like the poorer players that, that are hanging on, if you like.
1: Yeah. It's an excellent point, team. Really well put. Thank you. And there's a question coming from Nicholas Mew, uh, who's a friend of the show. um uh, comes from Canada, a big fan of Toronto when they were in the Super League. And he said um, Captain of the Grizzlies. Captain of the Grizzlies, yeah. Um, He's been over here a couple of times with the Masters. Great guy. Um, He's put a really good question to us. And it's on the, considering the bias. So, Toulouse now, or or last year, and Toronto have been paying for the flights. That's for all the players and for the referees and and all that surrounding um, the trip over. Would it be seen or claimed by other teams in those circumstances that the referees are going to favor those teams because they know that they've put the hand in the pocket to get them over there and do that travel. Do you think there's any that's Bernard? Bernard will there? say the
3: opposite. <laughs> Who would Bernard says I uh, sat on the plane with them all, making best friends with them, so everything <laughs> goes against my team when they get here, <laughs> so it goes both ways. And that's that is the bias Bernard's biased, you know, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're, that's that's the bi- that's where the bias is. <laughs> Do you think it's just conspiracy? Simply just it's conspiracy. <laughs> yeah,
2: Again, it's going nonsense. back to my original point a bit ago, Chris Kendall wanted to get that last decision right, regardless of the outcome of the game, because he wants the best games this weekend. When them appointments come out on Tuesday or Wednesday, he will be absolutely chomping at the bit to get the best game. So if me going over to Catalan, which I did many, many, many times with the teams, uh and I thought, right, well is paying for this, so I'm going to give everything to Catalan. Or I'm with the players and, I, and the fans and I don't want to f- travel back from Perpignan or from Girona or Barcelona on a Sunday uh, and think I might get a bit of a nasty flight. It's just absolute nonsense. It's just a conspiracy. But yeah. it, it, it sometimes it's so such a big conspiracy. It's laughable. It's funny. <laughs> uh, but sometimes people believe it and, it and then that's when it becomes doesn't become fun and become people can become abusive around it yeah. the yeah, so same I question applies
3: with um, like where referees are from what what referee society they were part of when they were coming through the ranks or what have you you see a lot of that don't you you know St Helens fans were throwing that at Liam Moore weren't they um, when Liam Moore is the best referee in our competition right now and should be refereeing the biggest games without any sort of sense of question um, similarly you've had it in the past with you know, lots of other referees who've refereed the team the town, the team of the town that they were born in, or the team from the town that they became through the referees society in or or what have you. And that's another one of them conspiracies. Um Kendall must favour Huddersfield because he played in their academy but Huddersfield's academy told Chris Kendall he wasn't good enough so surely he should hate Huddersfield and go against them in every game so you can you can twist these narratives both ways like we've just done with those two examples to
1: your agenda yeah yeah Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. well why why doesn't Ryan Hall every time he plays for all against Leeds Rhinos drop the ball when he's going over the line because he's a Leeds Rhinos legend yeah because when you're on that pitch you're doing the job that you appear to do to the best of your ability without fear or favour. And like, you know, Mark's spot on there. They let feel let Chris Kendall go. So I'm going to give everything against Huddersfield, but he was part of their academy. So I'm going to give everything to Huddersfield. It's <laughs> just, it's just a it's just nonsense, yeah. but yeah. Pe- people like that nonsense and and they get a lot of uh,
3: time out of that nonsense.
2: One, it's
3: quite funny at times. One time, I, something I had real trouble reconciling um, and I nearly slipped down that rabbit hole to an extent but there was one season I think it was 2012 or 2013 where sort of eight eight of nine of Wigan's losses were refereed by Phil Bentham and I thought what's going on here like and the conspiratorial like hard-headed fan who just thinks everything's against my team would be thinking that he's got a problem with us he's doing things against us but probably more realistically is there was some sort of nuance in how maybe he refereed the Rook or something like that, that Wigan were just getting wrong or Wigan were having off days. And it was just a pure coincidence that Phil Bentham was the man with the referee. And so, but I could have sat there and come up with a conspiracy easily about that. When I worked that out, I don't think a lot of Wigan fans at the time worked it out. Otherwise they would have been all over it. I'm sure. But like, that's not, it's not a conspiracy. It's not because Phil Bentham hates Wigan. It's not, you know.
1: Yeah. It's not because he I broke
3: would... his leg there against OKR KR or, or what have you. I was yeah. video ref on that. I heard that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I suspect it's more coincidence, you know, because yeah. statistically, if something can happen, at some stage it will. So you toss a coin. If you get heads now, you toss a coin again, you're not more likely to get tails. It's still 50-50 next time. So, maybe maybe the players league. got
2: into the red, though, David, uh, yeah. where it's a case of, oh, we never win with this bloke. So all of a sudden you go into a game, and, you know, expecting every decision to go against you. So every decision then it becomes, oh my God, it, it's, it seems so it's personal, it seems to go against us. And all another of a sudden thing, you are playing into that narrative that, that is not there.
3: Yeah. And uh, that's another thing with the best clubs or the best coaches. You know, that year Wigan still got to finals. Wigan still, I think, won either the league leaders or one of the trophies because Sean Wayne would have been saying to the players, like it's not it, when, you know, they're, they're not, the, we have to be better when he's refereeing our games, not he's a problem yeah. that we have to be worried about. And, yeah. you know, I'm sure that's what Justin Holbrook would have done with his teams and Christian Wolf with these, you know, dominant St. Ellen's teams that they've coached. I'm sure, you know, Brian McDermott would have been the same with, with his leads teams that were so successful. You wouldn't let that seep into your mindset, like the idea that sort of Ian put out there. The best coaches at the best clubs have a better mindset and a better culture that doesn't let things like that seep in.
1: Yeah, yeah. The answer is to play better. All of these, (laughs) these two play better. Take the ref out of it.
2: Yeah. Ignore the ref. Win collision. Get by ten. Go up. Win collision. Put players into gaps. Be faster. Be smarter. Be stronger. And the the referee becomes a non-entity.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And no, just to say, I found it absolutely fascinating. I always do speaking to both you, Ian and Mark, and it's always uh, very, very interesting. And uh, uh, it's nice to dig deep into some of these points and topics. And I think we agree in large on many of those points. Um, may have slightly different views on on some things, but on, by and large, I think we've got the, the best interests of the sport at heart. and we're, we're always trying to promote what's good about it and and clear up any any friction that there may be from from decisions that are made so yeah um very very uh, uh warm thank you to to both of you for uh, coming along and and sharing those insights and and yourself as well keith and uh yeah. thank you very much for hosting Yeah, no, well, they bolstered it. Thank you. And thanks for coming back from from Helvellon,
0: from your walk today, and all the way back from work here. um, Everybody's been busy. Um, But just a couple of things before we do go. Uh, here at the Dockhouse Rugby Show, we champion two charities uh that are very close to our heart. And one is which Ian works for, and that's the State of Mind charity, who do great things. And I'll put details in the bio where you can look at what they do as well, and also the teardrops charity, uh the homeless charity in St. Helens teardrops. Uh, again, all the details will be in, in the bio for this episode. Um, and if you can go on and just look at the good work that they do, and if you can support them, then all the better. But uh, Um, They're doing great things for the greater good. And from us, from me and Dave, we just say thanks for all the work that you do, Ian, with the State of Mind charity. It's fantastic. I know it's, you know, you and all all, all the team there as well. So, yeah, uh, echoing what Dave says, thanks for your time, guys. That's it for another episode of the Rockhouse Rugby Show. Hopefully we've put to bed some of the big burning questions that are out there. Um, If you've got any more, please bang them down and you knows maybe once a month we'll get together as a mastermind alliance and thrash out all the ramblings of the twitterverse and uh, see what we can come up with but that's it for now thanks for your time and thanks for joining us don't forget after tonight's show leave your views in our comments section we'd love to hear from you keith and dave talk all things rugby league on the dockhouse rugby show with news match reviews and special guests from the world of rugby league Also available in audio format as the Dockhouse Rugby Pod. The Dockhouse Rugby Show is proud to support the Teardrops Homeless Charity. Teardrops, supporting your community.